Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 37. I am excited. I have a message. I taught something similar to this a few years ago, and uh, I mentioned that a few weeks ago, and everybody was like, oh, you did? So apparently you don't remember it, which means I can <laughs> preach it again and come at it from a different angle and encourage us. I want to entitle my message. This resurrection message is called The Four Garments of Life. And we're going to look at Joseph this morning as a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And we're going to apply it to our lives. And we're going to see the four garments of our own life. And I hope you get something out of it. It's Resurrection Sunday. The gospel is preached everywhere where it's received by a few, rejected by most. My pastor has made the observation that in America... To go to hell, you have to want to. In America, to go to hell, you have to want to. God's not sending anybody to hell. In this nation, specifically, people are choosing to go there because to reject Christ in this nation, you've got to reject every cousin you have that's preaching to you. You've got to reject every bumper sticker you're reading, every billboard, every radio station you blow past, every television station, every blog, every article that somehow ties it back to the church. You've got to reject every t-shirt. Nowadays, every tattoo you might see on the back of someone's neck, wrist, or lower back. It's going to preach at you. Every WWJD sticker, every TV show, every special. The gospel is everywhere in this nation, but we're demonstrating to God, yeah, tell me again, I'm still going to curse your God. That's a horrible place to be. That's a stubborn heart. Good news is God knows how to make people miserable till they humble themselves. But don't let it be your deathbed before you convert Make sure you humble yourself quickly. It is amazing how much stubbornness is set up in the heart of an individual, begins to manifest as a child. They will sit there and take a spanking 20 times without ever saying what you're, they're told to say. Just say, I love you, and we can have fun. Nope. And then what happens when that kid grows up and gets hairy? Same stubbornness. God says, just say Jesus, and I'll save you. Nope. Your life will be easier. Your life will be full of joy and peace. I want to be good to you. Just call on me. Nope. That's the kind of ideology and mindset we're dealing with in the world today. Thank God it's not numbered among us because we've called upon the name of the Lord and we're not ashamed of them. And they call us weird and needy and full of needing a crutch. Somebody said, God is a crutch. I had a pastor one time who said, yeah, he is. He's a good crutch. He's going to get me into heaven. But we Christians, we're not the weird ones. We're the ones that go to bed with joy. We're the ones that go to bed with peace. We're the ones that go to bed with hope. We're not worried about death. We're not afraid of death. We're not trying to live our whole life to, get, to die with the most toys. We, we're living life enjoying it. It's not always easy. We have opposition. Sometimes it's from that stubborn family member who thinks they're smarter than everybody. But it really is uh, something to be born again, to have the favor of God upon you, to know that the creator of the cosmos calls you his kid. I mean, what are the, the creator? The one that made everything, the one that spoke the cosmos into existence, also calls you and me his children. So call me weird if you want to. God calls me his kid. He calls you his enemy. I don't know how that's going to go for you later, but I'm pretty happy to be born again. And uh, call me an idiot if you want. I've been called worse by better, so it doesn't bother me a bit. <laughs> Talk about the four garments of life. We're going to see a, a pattern here from the life of Joseph. We remember Joseph, right? He's most famous for his coat of many colors. And that begins the first garment that we want to talk about. Uh, we, when we look at Joseph, we look at a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. We look at God Almighty's foreshadowing of pattern in the Old Testament patriarchs. 
And Joseph's life established a pattern, not just for his life, not just for Savior, but for all of mankind's life. And his life, according to the scriptures, sees four changes of garments. And if you and I will walk with Jesus, we can see four changes of garments too. So here in Genesis chapter 37, the first garment, because I have a lot of scripture to cover this morning. If I cover the four garments of Joseph, the four garments of Jesus, and our four garments, that's 12 points. That destroys the laws of hermeneutics. It says three points and then a poem. I don't do poetry. I'm not much into it unless it's Shel Silverstein, and he was a Jew, so that doesn't really count much in church, and plus it was children's poetry. Seuss, eh, I think he was a Jew as well. I'm not against Jews at all. Jesus was a Jew. By the way, he wasn't black or white. There's a big push right now to call the American church racist because we believe in a white Jesus. I don't believe in a white Jesus. He's of the tribe of Judah. That would make him very Jewish, but he wasn't black either. He did not come out of Africa. Amen. So there's that, there is a heresy that says Jesus was black, living a black man's experience. I don't know what to tell you except you're retarded. Jesus was a Jew. He didn't look like most of us in here. And so we're just happy to be born again. There's only three categories of beings in the earth. Jew, Gentile, born again. Jesus sees Jew, Gentile, that's everybody who's not a Jew, and then the born again ones. And if you're not a born again one, you're going to hell regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So this kind of shows you how much race is important to God. He just lumps them all together, calls them Gentile. That's all. He's just Gentile. When you get to heaven, he's not going to ask your ethnicity. He's going to say, are you born again or not? He doesn't really care what color you are. We make a big deal out of it because of idolatry. We worship our favorite skin colors and our favorite culture that's tied to those skin colors, whether it is the proverbial red, yellow, black, or white. They're all precious in his sight. He says, either a Gentile or you're born again. So glad to be among the born again ones here. We're glad for all the colors of the rainbow spectrum, the real rainbow, the real diversity of heaven. Amen. All right. Genesis 37. This first coat, we're going to call it the coat of his father's favor. The coat of Joseph's favor, father's favor. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Now Israel, that is Jacob, he loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Those of us that have kids in our older age, we got to be careful that we don't start showing partiality, start pulling back on punishment or just start winking at stuff. One of the problems about having kids in your old age, neuroscience tells us we men are not as diligent. We're not as aggressive. We're a lot more. This is why grandparents make horrible parents. Because when you're things are more important to you, you're serious about them. And as you get older, you're just like, yeah. So when you have kids in your old age, you're just like, yeah. So Joseph was the child of his old age, so he had a lot of favor for him. And he made him a coat of many colors. A margin of my Bible says many pieces. It doesn't really matter whether it's colors or pieces. If it's made out of scraps, it would probably be very colorful. But this is the first garment we're introduced to. And this is a garment that speaks of his father's favor. And this is a coat that set him apart and made him different from those around him. We also know it's a coat that got him in trouble. And what happens is, in verses 23, uh, jump to verse 23, it came to pass when Joseph was come out to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. They didn't like Joseph, and so what they did was they beat him up. He kept having these dreams that kind of basically said one day his brothers would bow down before him. He's the youngest kid uh, at that point, and Benjamin's younger than him, and the brothers don't like that, so they're bullying their little kid brother, and they strip from him 
this coat of many colors. They take them and they cast them into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery, balm, myrrh, going to carry it down into Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And so this is what they do. You jump down to verse 32. They sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found now. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast had devoured him. And the coat of many colors is stripped from him. They they tear it up. They cover it with the the blood of a kid, a, a goat. And they actually feign Joseph's death. And so he loses his first coat. And we know he's sewed into slavery. And he's carried from the Ishmaelites down into Egypt. And he ends up in Potiphar's house. Turn to chapter 39. We have a lot of patterns to cover this morning. We have to establish this. He loses the favor of his father due to the violence of his brothers. His father's favor caused his brothers to move with jealousy. So they eliminated the problem. He lost that coat and he's cast into the earth down into Egypt. Verse 1, Genesis 39, verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And we see here in a moment this garment that he leaves behind. We know the story. But I call this the garment of God's favor, because even though he's a slave, he very quickly rises to the top of Potiphar's household. And he even testifies as much when he's being tempted by Potiphar's seductress of a wife. He said, everything's been given to me. Your husband's whole household is at my disposal. Your husband knows nothing that goes on here except the food that he eats. And that's the favor of God upon him. That's what the verse just says. God made Joseph to prosper. And so the garment he takes upon him, we'll call it the garment of God's favor. And according to the language, it was a shortened tunic, which was kind of what a field manager wore. And it speaks of his favor in the earth. But it is a garment nonetheless. It's not his father's coat of many colors. This is a garment of slavery. It's a garment of being down in Egypt. It's an Egyptian garment. It's not a Jewish garment or we'd call a Semitic garment. It is definitely Egyptian. But this is the garment that he leaves behind when the seductress tries to tempt him. If you jump down to verse 7, came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knows not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he has to my hand. There is none greater in this house than me. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. That means anything else Potiphar had, Joseph had access to. The only thing he couldn't touch was Potiphar's wife. That's adultery. Maybe that means if he had other mistresses or other uh, slave girls, he could have married any one of them if he wanted to. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So here's the hour of Joseph's temptation. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. So she is persistent day by day. Who knows how long this went for? Days, weeks, months. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. 
That's a big mistake right there. We need to make sure if we have some woman chasing us, men, that you are never alone because you have no idea what can be said or accusations could be made to fly. She caught him by his garment. This is not Joseph's coat of many colors. This is his tunic of household authority. This term garment is used six times in this passage because the Bible wants to draw attention to the fact that he's losing another garment. Joseph's coat of many colors was the garment of favor. This is a garment of authority. Authority in the earth, authority over Potiphar's household. He testifies himself, nobody's greater in this house but me. I'm the greatest in this household. This is the garment she strips from him. She caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them saying, see, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord, her, his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. Isn't it fascinating? It keeps mentioning this garment over and over and over again. But this is the second time he loses an article of clothing. And it signifies a change in his station of life, a change in his destiny, a change. And unfortunately for Joseph, every time he changes garments, he goes down. He loses the coat of many colors. He goes down into the pit and then down into Egypt. And now he rises to the top and he loses this garment. We know where he's headed. He's headed to prison. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to do anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, one of the things the Bible reveals is that Potiphar was actually over the prison. So he has to demote Joseph into the prison, but he still knows his work ethic, so he still promotes him over everything. This brings us to Joseph's third garment. We would call it the prison garment or the garment of lost favor. He's in prison. He doesn't have the garment of the household authority. He's wearing pri prison garb now. We know that after the fact, if you jump to chapter 41, verse 14, when Joseph gets called up, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment. So this wasn't the garment of, over Potiphar's household. This was some kind of prison garb, and evidently it's not acceptable to wear it into the presence of the God king, so he changed raiment. We would kind of be like um, prison clothes. A lot of us minister in jails around here. You've seen prison clothing. You go up to... Uh, Bledsoe County Correctional, they wear blue jeans that have their serial number stamped on them and a, a light blue denim shirt. There's prison clothing. This is the clothing of prison, the clothing of lost favor. And this is where Joseph 
spends probably three or four years of his life in prison. Joseph's descent into prison put him in another article of clothing. And this is critical because if Joseph had stayed in prison, he would have died in obscurity. But he doesn't die in prison. We know he has this ability to interpret dreams. And so he interprets the dreams of the butcher and the dreams of the baker. Excuse me, the butler and the baker. The butler is the wine bearer. The baker bakes the bread. The butler gets to come out and serve the Pharaoh again. The baker has his head cut off. He doesn't get to serve again. But after a couple of years, Pharaoh begins to have the dreams. And that's what brings Joseph up out of the prison. And that brings him to the fourth and final garment. And we're blowing through this very quickly because you need to see these four garment changes because the pattern carries through the rest of the Bible. He prophesies and gives him the interpretation, tells Pharaoh what the dream, hopefully you know the dreams. First dream was seven skinny cows, seven fat cows followed by seven skinny cows and seven fat grains of wheat followed by seven skinny grains of wheat. And Joseph says, this is famine. Seven good years and seven lean years. The Lord has shown you this three times because it's of God and it's going to happen. He has affirmed it. So Pharaoh says, what should we do? And Joseph says, well, just save. I feel like that's how we should talk to Christians today. How should I get out of debt? Save. And what was Joseph's savings program but 20%? Save 20% of your income. Live lean and save 20% of your income. So Pharaoh says, verse 37, Genesis 41, 37. Remember, I've got 12 points. We're on number four. We're 30% done. But we will slow down in a minute. Genesis 41, 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, that is the savings plan, and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one is this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is. Now, let's stop and say this. Joseph was faithful over his father's house. He was faithful over Potiphar's house. He was faithful over Potiphar's prison. The one thing is consistent in all this is Joseph's faithfulness and his work ethic. If Joseph was lazy in his father's house, he'd be nothing but a period on a page. If Joseph was lazy in Potiphar's house, he'd be nothing but a period on a page. There'd be nothing to say about him. If he was lazy in prison, in prison he stays. One thing we can extract from the story is we are who we are everywhere we go. And our reputation precedes us. And if you're lazy here, you'll be lazy there. If you're diligent here, you'll be diligent there. If you're trustworthy here, you'll be trustworthy there. And the most important thing is who you are when nobody's looking is who you really are. Who you are when nobody's looking, that's the real you. Who you are around pagans and lukewarm Christians, that's the real you. Who you are when perverts are around, that's the genuine, authentic, real McCoy you. And that may not be pretty. But no matter where Joseph went, he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. And, and mind you, he suffered nothing but, here's the cool buzzword, injustice. He should have a hashtag movement. Free Joseph. Hashtag justice for Joseph. But he keeps his walk with God right. He keeps his heart right. And no matter where you throw that boy, he rises to the top. So he's unjustly thrown into slavery. 
but he rises to the top. He's unjustly accused of attempted rape, but he rises to the top. And now he comes to stand before Pharaoh, under whose kingdom he has been a slave and a prisoner, and he works for him just as hard as he worked for anybody else. He doesn't ask the Pharaoh, what's in it for me? He says, I can interpret dreams. It's the right thing to do. I can help you. What do you need help with? Would to God we had that kind of attitude. We're such entitled victims anymore. We're just holding our breath, waiting for somebody to give us a reason not to trust them. And that's a, such a selfish, carnal way to live. Joseph cannot be kept down because he has a walk with God and a work ethic. And those men, the spirit realm makes sure they prosper. And so Pharaoh and all the advisors, so this is the greatest empire on the earth. They're impressed with this Hebrew boy. He's about 30 right now. They said, is there anybody? Can we find anybody like this? We've not found anybody like this. How has this guy been in our prison? The spirit of God is in this man. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. Verse 40, thou shalt be over my house. According unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. He ruled over Potiphar's house. He ruled over Potiphar's prison. Now he's ruling over Pharaoh's kingdom. Only in throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. He was over all of Potiphar's house. He was over all of Potiphar's prison. Now he's over all of Pharaoh's land. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in fine vestures vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Here's his fourth garment change. We call it the code of justification because now Joseph has been justified. He's been vindicated. He's been promoted out of the lowest point in Egypt. You don't get any lower than the prison. And overnight, literally in the afternoon, he comes up out of the prison, laying aside prison garb, preparing to meet with the God King. And what is missed on us as modernists is this rain and fine vestments of, of fine linen. The, the pharaohs, the Egyptians, saw linen as holiness and purity and vindication and righteousness. It was the clothing of the gods. And what we see is a vast foreshadow of Christ being raised from the dead and clothed in glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, all power being given to Christ, and only enthroned is God greater. That's the pattern in the foreshadow. Joseph would be nothing in history if he had died in that prison. So there's your four garments, the pattern that we're about to look at in the life of Christ. And then we'll apply it to our lives. So we should come to the New Testament, don't you think? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Jesus had a garment, his first garment. We would call it the coat of his father's favor as well. Philippians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus, begotten, the Nicene Creed says, begotten, the only begotten of the Father, begotten, not made, begotten. We can't understand that. He is God. He proceeds forth from God, but he is God. He was with the Father from the beginning. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This first garment 
It's the coat of his father's favor. Jesus, as the son of God and the second person of the Godhead, was in the form of God, clothed with glory and majesty. This is very much like the coat of many colors. The favor of God. But we know he had to step into time and take upon him the form of a servant. So our first, his first garment is the deity. It is the Godhead. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, according to Colossians. And he is born of a virgin and takes upon him his second garment. So let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 2. This is Resurrection Sunday. So we got to quickly get to the resurrection of Christ in our four garment changes here. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, Jesus also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, it behooved him to be like, uh, made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So this second garment is when we call it also the garment of flesh. He steps out of eternity, steps into time, takes upon him the form of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, to be made like of sinful flesh, yet without sin in the flesh. His second garment puts him in the earth, and this is foreshadowed by Joseph going down into Egypt, which is always symbolic of the world. Jesus leaves the throne of God and goes down into the world to take upon himself our nature. Second garment change for the Lord Jesus. And yet we still call it the coat of God's favor because Luke chapter 2, verse 52 said that the child grew in favor with God and man. He's still growing in the favor of God and man. He took upon him the form of a servant. And while in this garment, like Joseph, he resisted the temptations of the world's seductress, tempted in all points like as we, constantly, day after day, and yet without sin. So then the question becomes, how does he lay off his second garment? If he's going to fulfill the typology of Joseph, Joseph had to flee the garment to run from the seductress, and that cost him freedom and put him into prison. Jesus, the Bible tells us, chose to take upon him the third garment. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 13. The third garment, we'll call it the coat of lost favor, just like Joseph had a coat of lost favor. Mark chapter 15. We know it's the coat of lost favor. We know at some point he stopped growing in favor with God and man. Because at the cross of Calvary, Mark chapter 15, verse 34, as he hung on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't cry that when you have favor with God and man. He had lost favor with both God and man. He lost favor and had taken upon him the coat of lost favor. But how did he do that? The Bible tells us, if you want to write it down, Second, I've given you a lot of scripture. Second Corinthians chapter uh, five, verse 21 says, he made him to be sin. 
if he steps out of time and is made into the form of man, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and then he was made into the form of sin. I'll read you the verse. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He takes upon him this third coat, which is the coat of sin. He takes upon him the sin nature. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, this is where we slow down a little bit. We had to hurry to get here. Because in fulfilling this pattern, when Joseph lost the coat of God's favor, and took upon him the coat of lost favor, he had to go down into prison. And we know that at the death of Jesus Christ, having been made sin for us, having cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where did the Lord Jesus go next? To hell, to prison. The Bible calls it spiritual prison. The Bible tells us that he preached to the captive spirits. He preached to the prisoners. If you know your Bible, we'll look at those verses. We see Jesus walking out the foreshadow of Joseph. He took upon him a new garment, a garment that thrust him into the grave. Now, this is controversial for Christians who don't know their Bible. But the doctrine of Jesus going into hell, well, it goes back as far as Psalms. Jesus talked about it. I mean, I think if Jesus says, even as Jonah was in the belly of the well, the heart of the well, three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. If Jesus taught it, that should kind of settle it. Thankfully, David talked about it in Psalm 16. Thankfully, Peter talked about it in Acts. Thankfully, Paul talked about it in the book of Ephesians. And I still don't know why it's controversial to say that Jesus went to hell. The grave, Sheol, Hades, the prison for bound spirits. This is all biblical doctrine. Maybe we would know it if we weren't trying to find our best Friday ever. He goes to prison. Ephesians 4, let's turn there. A lot of scriptures this morning but I want you to be a Bible literate congregation. Joseph went down into the pit. Then he went down into Egypt and went down into Potiphar's house. Then he went down into prison and Jesus is following the same pattern. He went down into the earth and then he went down into prison. Ephesians four, verse nine. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, that's what Jesus said he would do. Here's Paul saying the same thing. So I know it's still controversial. There's people streaming who won't like that I'm teaching it. Do you know what the word ascend means? This is sarcasm. You should be no stranger to it. To ascend means to go up. We have a doctrine called the ascension. It's when Christ ascends into the heavens to sit at the right hand of the Father. Happens in Acts chapter 1. But before he could ascend, the apostle Paul, whose scripture we hold as canon, said that he must first descend. Now that means to go down. So we don't like to emphasize the, the descension, but it's just as important as the ascension. Because the descension was necessary to redeem us. I've never seen the dissension discussed as a doctrinal subject, nor have I seen it capitalized like the ascension is. But before he could ascend, he had to first descend. That's what Paul said. What is it? But first, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended, 
There it is twice. Now, what does descend mean? Go down into what? Where? Lower, well, lower parts of the earth. So, I don't know, is that like the waiting room of heaven? Is that paradise? Is that the third heavens? Or is it like the prophet said, hell from beneath? I, I, I don't know why it's a hard doctrine to wrap your mind around. It's in the scriptures. He descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So we see it here. Look at 1 Peter. Actually, you're close to Acts. Go to Acts 2. We build doctrine by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed both discuss Jesus descending into hell. Acts chapter 2, verse 27. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, quotes Psalm 16. He says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, the gospel message, talking about Jesus, raising him, God raising him from the dead, uh, having loosed the pains of death. And he goes on to quote the 16th Psalm uh, so that we're reminded that Jesus didn't stay in hell. Verse 31 says the same thing. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. So now Peter gives us the interpretation of the 16th Psalm. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. I don't think... There are many verses that clearly interpret other verses for us quite like that verse. What does that verse say? Jesus is resurrected out of hell. That's prison. Joseph went there first as a living parable, a living allegory. One more witness, because we've got to have two or three, though we'll skip Acts 13, then it discusses it as well. Uh, 1 Peter 3. What did Jesus do in hell? Now, if you want to get controversial, that's where the controversy arises. What happened to Jesus in hell? There, listen to me clearly, charismatics. There's no scripture that says he was tormented. That's made up charismatic doctrine. There's no scripture that says Jesus was tormented. So to say so is to make something up. And if you're going to believe it, just say, this is what I conject. This is what I want to believe. But you don't have a scripture to back it up. We know from Luke 15, in the, and that's not a parable, of Lazarus and the rich man, that when the rich man died, he went to hell too, as did Lazarus. But there was a gulf in hell between Abraham's bosom and torments, and a great gulf fix between the two. Before Christ's resurrection, everybody went to hell, the grave. But according to the teachings of Jesus, remember him, that guy whose resurrection we celebrate today? According to Jesus, the grave had two departments, paradise or Abraham's bosom and torments and a gulf fixed between the two so you couldn't go back and forth. The Bible tells us what Jesus did when he went to hell. We shouldn't expect anything less than Jesus because he's the great evangelist. Verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 
1 Peter 3.18, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by the Spirit which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. So he went to prison. Now there's no prison spoken of in the Gospels except for the spirit realm. So what did he do in that prison? Jesus went to prison. Joseph went to prison. Joseph interpreted dreams and tried to help people in prison. Jesus went to hell and preached the gospel to the captives in prison. And he ascended and he led a captive train, which I think is so wonderful. That's what he did in hell. You say anything more than that, you don't have scripture to back it up. It's a very common word of faith, false teaching. And everybody just oozes and awes over it, but there's no scripture to back it up, that he was tortured. Now, here's the fun part. Joseph didn't stay in prison. And neither did Jesus. And I think we know that because that's why we're here this morning. So just as instantly, overnight, Joseph was called by the God King to come up out of the prison, instantly, Overnight, Jesus Christ was called by the God King to come up out of his prison. Look at Acts chapter 5. And this is the fourth garment. Like Joseph's, we'll call it the coat of justification. Because he was raised from the dead. Justified. When everybody mocked him and ridiculed him, said, Hey, uh, raise yourself up from the dead. You saved others, save yourself. Not knowing what Jesus was really about to do. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostle answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Here is the resurrection of Jesus, the, the coat of justification raised up and made to be a prince and a savior. And then without any controversy, Joseph was first raised to be a prince of Egypt and a savior for the world. Fulfilling or prophesying about what the Messiah would do, raised up and made to be a prince, the prince of peace, and the savior of mankind. Of course, on a totally different level, but we understand how allegories and typology works. And look at Revelation chapter 1, because it, it wouldn't be fair unless we could see a change of clothing on Jesus. And then we're going to slow down and talk about our four garments of life. Revelation chapter 1. I love to hear pages turning. I don't think we're going to have digital devices in heaven. Amen. Amen. I'm not really sure the Lord's going to let devices made in sweatshops by real slaves make heaven. <laughs> he sets captives free. He doesn't exploit them for technocracy's sake. Verse 13. And I turn, this is John, actually verse 12. It's John the Revelator on the island of Patmos, a slave, a prisoner. I turn to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to his feet, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, as if they'd burn in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He notes that he's wearing another garment and a golden belt. This isn't the last thing John saw him with when he ascended on the Mount of Olives. This is something different. This isn't the thing he saw him with at the cross, naked, having his garment stripped from him before they crucified him. This is another change of clothing. This is that garment of justification, the Son of God, magnified. The wonderful thing that we should parallel is that Jesus would be nothing in history if he had died in that prison and stayed there. He came up just like Joseph did. And because he came up out of the grave, it made Jesus different than all other holy men in history, all other sacred men, all other prophets, all other sages, all other gurus, all other yogis. He was made different than all of them because he didn't die and stayed. And all those men, Muhammad, Buddha, they all died. They all went to hell. The difference is they stayed there. They're still there. Probably not on the paradise side. Because Abraham's bosom was taken up into heaven. So we see this resurrection of Jesus Christ. When, when you shoot a gun, you, sign up the, you line up the back sights with the front sights. When you want a straight line, you line up two points. And when you want to see what our pattern of life is, you have to line up two points. We have Joseph in history before Christ, and we see Christ now lining up a pattern, and this should line up things for us. If we can't see how we're supposed to live from this pattern, which we're going to go over here, then I don't know. We're pretty dense. Should be a pretty simple thing. So let's start now. Here's where we're going to spend the rest of our sermon on Resurrection Sunday. We like Joseph, we like Jesus, start off with a garment. Now, I want you to know none of you in here have that garment anymore. It's gone. But I want to tell you what you started off with. We'll call it the garment of innocence. Jesus started off with the garment that he had in heaven, the Godhead. Joseph started off with the garment of his father's favor and honor, the coat of many colors. We are born into the earth with the garment of innocence. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 9, that God is the father of spirits. And when we're born into the earth, we're innocent. You've ever held a baby. Here's baby Judah over here. Innocent. Just innocent. This baby of innocence. When, when mommy and daddy conceived him, God breathed into him the breath of life. John's gospel chapter one says that Jesus is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Medical science has now captured numerous times the moment of conception on high-speed photography in utero or maybe in a Petri dish, I don't know. And you can Google this because it sounds too good to be true. I watched the documentary. I saw the news article. There's a literal flash of light they've captured when the sperm inseminates the egg. A flash of light. Explain that. What's producing the light energy? Is it exothermic? It has to be. Does it give off heat? Can you measure it? What, what causes this flash of light when that little swimmer works his way in like we've all seen in biology? And yet Jesus says, I'm the light that lighteth every man. That's when life begins. We're marveling over there might be life on Mars in clumps of cells, but now our Demonic politicians want partial birth abortion because that's not life yet. Heartbeat, pain receptors, lungs, breathing, amniotic fluid, eyeballs, fingernails. Yeah. This is the garment of innocence we're all born with. Romans 7, let's turn there. 
I want you to read this one with your eyes. Romans 7 begins to prophesy about a time that would come when we would all inevitably lay off the garment of innocence. Romans 7, verse 9, Paul said, I was alive once without the law, but when the law came, sin revived and I died. Romans 7, 9. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's when you and I lay off our first garment. Theologically, we call it the age of accountability. When we come of age and we recognize, mommy said, don't do this, and I'm going to do it anyway. As precious as the babies are, baby Judah here in, in present in our service, we're going to preach about him. Innocent, wonderful, beautiful, but he has a sin nature. We're all destined at some point, unless, unless we die at a young, young age, we're going to sin. We're going to lay off the first garment. And when we do that, that produces the need to be born again. When we sin for that first time, whether we're a pagan in Tibet, the bottom of Straits of Magellan, or here in Middle Tennessee, when we sin willfully, purposely, even without the Ten Commandments, but knowing within ourselves what is right and wrong, we die spiritually. And once we die spiritually, sin enters our life. And we lay off the first garment of innocence, and we must now be born again. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Whosoever is born of the water is born of the water, but whosoever is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. They said, how can a man be born again except he climb into a mother's womb? And Jesus said, you don't know what I'm talking about. The reason people go to hell is not because they're intrinsically wicked or have done something horrible, but because they're dead spiritually. And when you're dead spiritually and your body dies and separates your spirit from this plane, you have to go to hell. And when you die and lay off spiritually and you lay off that garment of innocence, you automatically take up the next garment called slavery. You become a slave to sin. The age of accountability ensures that we all fall at some point. Romans 6, you're there. Just turn back a chapter. Romans 6 tells us this. Knowing this, it kind of speaks of it in hindsight, but we see the spiritual principle that our old man is crucified with him. This is after the new birth, after being saved and born again, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should henceforth, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The word serve is slavery. Being born again, which is where we're headed with these four garments, but right now we're stuck in slavery mode. Being born again delivers us from the body of sin. That is the garment we take upon us once we sin at seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I personally believe for my life, I believe I know when I sinned willfully and died spiritually. When I was two or three, I climbed, we had a fish tank. My parents had this homemade bookshelf made out of bricks, two by ten, one by ten, bricks, one by ten. So I remember this homemade bookshelf and we had a fish tank at the top. Apparently, I was climbing up on it as a two or three-year-old, and I slipped, and I cut my tongue in half. They had to stitch it, and so it produced a speech impediment. So from the time I can remember being five or six, all the way even through uh, third and fourth grade, I had to go to speech pathology. Speech, there, I can't say it. <laughs> Wonderful. Speech pathology to work on uh, a speech impediment. I remember being in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at a speech therapist and lying to her about the treats I took out of the treat basket. Now, I remember it very vividly. I remember the lie. I was probably five. 
And after we were done with our therapy session, which I don't remember you know, what I had to do to learn how to talk better, she'd say, well, you can get something out of the basket. You just get one thing, though, Chris. And she said, I'll be right back. So she stepped out. And I remember going through the basket, and they had the typical trinkets of the early 80s, spider rings and, you know, whatever, Chinese finger tortures. That's probably racist now. Who knows? And I remember there being two fishing worm lures, the gummy worms, you know, not edible, but purple with the hot pink tail. There was two of them in there, and I took both of them because I wanted both of them because there was two of them. There was three. I've probably taken the third one. Now, I remember this very vividly. So I took two of them, put one in my pocket, kept the other one. She came back in. She said, did you get you a prize? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, did you take one? I said, yes, ma'am. There were two, but I buried the other one at the bottom of the basket. I remember this 42 years ago. And even when I was serving God or rededicated my life at 19 and began to serve God, I rem the Lord reminded me. And I thought, I think that's when I died. I knew not to do it. I knew it was wrong. And I connived the whole thing. Now, in the end, it's just two stupid little gummy fishing lures. But I think I could have gone to hell over gummy fishing lures. Because it's not about how egregious your sin is. It's the law reviving the commandment come. You and I sin. We died. And we put upon us the garment of slavery to sin. Henceforth, we should not be enslaved to sin. Without being born again, you can't be free from sin. You're destined to create it, to do it. You're going to live in bondage to it. 2 Peter 2.19, let's turn there and look at that. We see this garment of slavery to sin. 2 Peter 2.19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into slavery or bondage. This sin overcomes us with this new garment, and we cannot help but commit sinful acts. We're bound to it. We can't escape it. There's no victory for the sinner to overcome sin. You and I can get victory over sin. There will always be another sin. Don't misunderstand me. We have a sin nature. There'll always be the next thing to repent of, but we don't have to live a slave bound to sin. We can be free from it because the body of sin, that is the sin nature, is cut off from the rest of our life through the new birth. And yet... This isn't as bad as it can get because there's a third garment we put on. If we follow the pattern of right with God, favor, like Joseph and Jesus, step down into the earth, step down into Egypt, or step down into the slavery to sin because Jesus came into the earth, Joseph became a slave in Potiphar's house, we become a slave to sin. There is a prisoner garment that many will put on. Because if you think about a child, a child has a sin nature that's active and they do dumb stuff and they get in trouble and they got to get whipped and spanked and disciplined, but that doesn't make them a prisoner yet. And I don't think, I don't think we have to ever become a prisoner before we get born again, but there is this third garment option where we have to make a distinction. Slavery is horrible, but it isn't prison bad. I mean, being a slave is horrible. It's horrific, but it's not the same as living in a cell block getting one hour of sunshine, fearing for your life. Slavery is horrific. Don't misunderstand me. But slavery around the world for thousands of years, you had families, you raised children, you worked. You didn't have your freedom, but you had some commerce even among slavery. You had clothing, you had a place to live, and it's different. And you have to bear with me on that. I understand it's horrific, but the scriptures make a distinction. We do as well. And a child can be a slave to sin, but it doesn't mean they become a prisoner. 
bound, shackled, doing the sinful shuffle with manacles. And if we're not careful, our loved ones, maybe we came from it, uh, pagans will become so bound, they will be in a prison to sin. We would call this addiction. Porn addiction is not slavery alone. Porn addiction, that's slavery. I mean, that's imprisonment. That's imprisonment. You're in a two-by-two cell. You don't get to fully lay down. You don't get to fully stand up. You get to see sunshine one day. That's, that's, that's enslavement. That's imprisonment. Chemical addiction, alcohol addiction, abuse, emotional. This is where sin takes us. It's a garment that's offered to us. The worst one, Romans 18 and 8.15 says, the spirit of bondage, again, to fear. Fear. When you're a pagan, you can become so imprisoned by fear. Now, we make a distinction because I don't think you have to ever get to this third garment before you get born again. All of our children got saved before they were four. They never learned to develop an imprisonment lifestyle. They never put upon them prison garb with a serial number like so many pagans do today. But there are many who live in an addiction to alcohol, an addiction to cigarettes, an addiction to drugs, an addiction to porn, an addiction to emotions, an addiction of fear. Um, And you don't have to be this. Uh, now, Now, what should be striking us is that, well, pastor, I'm born again, and I struggle with this. So you have on robes of righteousness, but have gone back to the prison house. You've come up out of prison, been given Pharaoh's garment, but choose to go back to Potiphar's house? Once we're resurrected from the dead, we don't draw back. We don't return to the miry clay. We don't return to the vomit. Once we're free, we're free indeed. Hebrews 2.15 says that God sets them free who all their lifetimes were subject to fear or imprisoned by fear or gripped by fear. Why, if we've been set free, being born again, why do we choose to go back? So hopefully, maybe you weren't that enslaved. I got born again at the age of seven, almost eight. I don't think I ever got enslaved or imprisoned, excuse me, imprisoned to sin. But certainly I was a little punk, because seven-year-old boys are, if they're not born again. Our fourth garment coming up out of sinful imprisonment or slavery, Isaiah chapter 61. We know what this is, but let's look at it prophesied from the Gospels of Isaiah. Isaiah is the gospel. When Isaiah talks about the gospel, it's the gospel. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings. The word gospel means good tidings. So what do good tidings do? They preach the good tidings to the meek. They send me. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Wow. Opening of the prison to those that are bound. Wait, wait, wait. We just saw that. Captives? You mean slaves and prisons? You mean the gospel already saw this pattern? (laughs) To them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise. Wait, wait, we're already talking about garment changing with this gospel that opens up slavery and prison doors. And hey, by the way, change your clothes, change your countenance, change your face, change your emotions. 
Why? Because he wants to make us trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Uh, We're supposed to start off small and eventually become this mighty oak that people can say that thing's unmovable. I like watching YouTube videos where some idiot tries to chain their tractor or their four-wheel drive to a tree. They think they're just going to yank it, and they usually like yank off the whole back of the truck or the whole axle. Tree's always going to win if it's a big tree. <laughs> some of us, we don't, ha- we don't ever get yanked. We just get talked out of our roots. They don't have to pull us. They just say, hey, come along. And you were saying in your heart, I was waiting for an invitation. I was waiting for the invitation to be offended. I was waiting for the invitation to be sinful. I was waiting for the invitation to be carnal. I was waiting for an excuse, and you just gave me one. If you're going to be a tree of righteousness, you are the planting of the Lord. But this isn't even the best verse, I think, of this chapter in light of this morning's sermon. The best verse is verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Oh, what began with Joseph's coat of many colors comes full circle for the born-again believer. The garments of praise, the garments of salvation, robes of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. This is the resurrection message. That when we're born again, resurrection life lives in us and it changes everything about us. It changes our countenance. It changes our joy level. It changes our victory level. It changes our family. We're no longer a slave. We're no longer a prisoner. He sets the captive free. He opens prison doors. Those are two different types of people and then changes everything about us. Why then should we as born again ones with robes of righteousness and gowns of salvation, why would we go back and visit our prison cell? Step into the door, turn around, and pull it shut, and then sit there with these beautiful new clothes. Why would we be emancipated by the living God and go back to the old master of sin and say, yes, Amasa, got any work for me to do, sir? Why? Why choose that? But yet believers do. But if we've been born again and if we've been resurrected, why not stay resurrected? Why not fight for life? The body of sin has been cut off. The body of sin has been crucified that henceforth we should not serve sin. Why choose to do so? Because it is a choice. Now, if you're not born again, there is no hope for you to cut this thing off because you must be born again. You can try, you can go to psychologists, you can have hypnotherapy, you can have all this, that, and the other, go to AA, find some higher power, but if it isn't Jesus Christ, you're going to die a porn addict, you're going to die a drug addict, you're going to die an alcoholic, you're going to die mean, you're going to die hateful, you're going to die spiteful, you're going to die belligerent, you're going to die alone, because you can't do it on your own. You're trying to set yourself free from inside your prison cell, and this ain't Alcatraz, baby. You're not digging your way out. All you can do is call upon Jesus who still opens prison doors. And that's the resurrection of our God Almighty. And if the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, he'll quicken our life as well. Amen. So we need to heed this because if we are born again, it's possible to foolishly go back and pick up shackles and manacles and submit to the old slave master called the enemy. But we cannot forget we've been set free. 
If we so want, at any point, we walk away from that and enjoy the fullness of life. Don't run with folks who have a prisoner mindset. Don't run with folks who have a slavery mindset. Don't run with folks who are belligerent and belittle and rude and hateful and ugly and want to stay that way. Don't fellowship with them. Why would you want to do that? I'm, take a tour of a prison if you want and then get out of there. I, I don't preach in prison like some of you guys do, but I've been in both of them. Our jail's in our prison enough to know at, up there at Bledsoe County, you can get this ultraviolet stamp. You can't, they tell you, don't wash it off. Because on your way out, if it's not there, you don't get to leave. Because they don't know if you're an inmate that beat up the, the chaplain and stole his clothes. Like, do I look like I've been serving 15 to 25? But they say, if, that, if we can't see that, they still that, do that, Gary? Stamps, you still get the stamp when you go in? Still have to put it underneath there? You don't, don't wash your hands. It's one time it's okay not to wash your hands. Use the bathroom, don't wash them, because I want to go home. We've been set free. We have a free pass anytime we want. Some Christians choose to go back, finish out their 15 to 25 in eternity in hell. If we've been born again and resurrected from the dead, man, let's enjoy it. And let's advertise it. Let's live it so people are drawn to us. Because the world's coming to the end. With all the knowledge, society's not better. With all the medicine, with all the technology, all the psychotherapy, nobody's better. Jesus is still the only answer we have. He's the only hope. He's the only life. And you and I better be putting it out there strong so people will be drawn to us.